You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. If you would turn in your Bibles to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. We are, uh, began a sermon series last week in the Great Commission where before Jesus ascends in glory, he gathers his disciples and calls them to go, go into all the world, unto all the nations to continue his mission that he began of making and maturing disciples. And so we have the simple title of the sermon series, Go, Just Go. But we realize something. We realize that, that there's so much more to these verses that surround that command to go. So, so what we wanted to do was to kind of sort of take these verses and like a, a rag that's filled with water, refreshing water, and you just sort of, sort of squeeze it dry. That's how we wanted to come at this, this passage. We wanted to come to the Word of God in these verses, just four verses, the Great Commission verses, the Go verses, and just squeeze it for all of the goodness that God has for us here in this passage. Because often we come to it and just see the command to go, and that's where we stay. But there's so much more to these passages. So in light of that, last week we saw how the very heart of missions is worship. That, that we're not going in gospel mission to spread the fame of Jesus out of dread or begrudgingly. Instead, it actually flows out of our mission, living for the fame of Christ, going in gospel mission, flows out of a love for Christ, a delighting in Christ, a treasuring of Jesus. And that's what ignites or motivates gospel mission in us. So last week we saw that worship is at the heart of of mission. This week, we will see that there is a reality that most of us deal with. Though we are worshipers who have been called so graciously to go into this mission of making and maturing disciples, there's a reality that we live with. We are still saints being sanctified. We are strugglers, aren't we? We are such strugglers. We, we wrestle with sin. We struggle with all sorts of fears and doubts. The Lord Jesus described us rightly whenever he calls himself our shepherd and we are his sheep. Because if you know anything about sheep, they're kind of silly. They're, they're a little bit silly. Not only do they, are they kind of smelly, but, but they, they, they are scared, easily frightened, easily scattered. We, we are sheepish saints, I believe. We are sheepish saints prone to paralyzing fear and doubts that hinder us from going in his mission. That's the reality, isn't it? No super saints in here, right? Sheepish saints fill this room, I think. Whether it's talking to a neighbor about the Lord, terrifying, right? What are they going to say? What are they going to think about me? What, you know, oh man, are they ever going to talk to me again? They're going to think I'm the weirdest neighbor on the block. All that sorts of stuff. Or it's like, man, they're our neighbor. What if they hear my, my kids screaming? What are they going to think about us? I have to share the gospel and then my kids screaming over here. We wrestle with all sorts of things. A coworker, terrified to speak to a coworker. What's going to happen if I do? Someone we meet in the city could be a total stranger. I remember one point, I'm in a park 
it was clear. It was almost just this ordained moment of the Lord. And I'm terrified. To, to like, what is this person going to think of me? We wrestle with those types of things. Maybe it's a mom at a play date. Like this, if I say anything about Jesus, they will never play with us again. Maybe it's even a family member. We just got through the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Maybe we're terrified, paralyzed by fear and doubts to share the gospel with family members. We, we often find that we are, not, we are not super saints. We truly are sheepish saints. We're more in the crowd of fearful and doubting disciples, I think. That's something that we often miss when we read these verses, the Great Commission verses. We see the go, go in Jesus' name for his fame. But we miss something in, the, in this passage, that the very first sent ones, they weren't always courageous. They weren't always ready to go. They were just like us in many ways, wrestling between the balance of worship and doubt. Wrestling between courage and terrifying fear. This balance. So here's what we're going to see in these verses today. That those whom Jesus sends are never sent alone. Ever. Those who Jesus sends, precious ones, are never sent alone, but they go with the power and presence of Jesus himself. And that is our assurance. Our, our sense of assurance and confidence and courage and peace or comfort of heart in this life isn't found in and of ourselves, precious ones. Courage and assurance and peace and comfort is not found in and of ourselves in how well we can tell others the gospel or how confident we are or our personality, because often that's what we'll do. We'll say, well, that person's just super outgoing. I'll leave the sharing of Jesus with them and kind of just entrust that to them. They're super bold. They're super courageous. They, they can articulate. They speak really well, so I'll leave it to them. That's not where we find our sense of assurance and courage and hope. It's not in and of ourselves. Our confidence, our assurance, and our comfort as we live to make Jesus known in every neighborhood and nation is found in Jesus himself. You probably knew that was coming. That's no surprise to you, precious saints. But it's found in Jesus himself, in his power, in his presence, and his commitment to his mission, and to us, his people. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to the word. Follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Here it is. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, teach us this morning. Lord, I confess I am but a silly, weak, little sheep pastor. I don't know how you do that, Lord. Only you can do something like that. You take a little sheep who are fearful themselves and doubt so often themselves, worshipers, but yet doubters, and then you make us shepherds, under-shepherds of the great shepherd. It blows me away even now. It's so humbling in this very moment, Lord. So, Lord, I pray as one who doesn't speak down to the congregation, Lord, but as one who is saying, I share in this struggle. Lord, I pray that you would turn all of our eyes, not to ourselves, but turn our view from ourselves to you. To see you in your great might, to see you in your incredible power and infinite glory, to see you in how wonderfully kind and gracious and merciful and gentle and patient you are with doubting disciples. And may you stir us. May you compel us. May you impart assurance and courage and confidence and comfort and peace within our hearts and you. Do this work by your Holy Spirit. Use this time. Don't let it be wasted. Soften our hearts. Let us receive it as food for our, our souls, Lord. And do your good work in building your church. May you be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. First thing we see is who do we see Jesus is sending out? Who do we see that Jesus is sending out? Evangelism heroes? <laughs> is that who he's sending out here? Because that's often what we think. Evangelism heroes, the strongest of us. No, he is sending out doubting disciples. That's the first point. The doubting disciples of verse 17. The doubting disciples. In verses 16 through 17, the disciples go to Galilee where they, the resurrected Lord Jesus told them to meet him. And as they're walking up to Jesus on this mountain, as they see him, there is this two-part response in their hearts. Two-part response of their hearts. And often we read the first verse, we see their first response but we miss the second response. When they walk up and they see Jesus, what do they do first? They worshiped him, right? They worshiped him. That's what Pastor Rob preached on last week. Worshiped him. He is deserving of worship, glorious and splendor. And they worship him. And then the second heart response, the very next words, but some doubt it. They see Jesus face to face, risen from the dead. Amazing. Already amazing. He's, he's about to ascend to glory at the right hand of the Father where he will rule and reign over all things. Amazing. And they are about to be sent out by him in gospel mission. And their heart's response to seeing Jesus was this blend of awestruck worship and a crushing wave of doubt, of uncertainty, of hesitation. 
In fact, that word for doubt can mean those things. It can mean, it can mean this uncertainty, this hesitation. So they're worshiping, but there's this hesitation. Where the Scripture is often filled with details, including this passage. There's details that, that we're led into. We know what's going on inside their hearts. They worship, and then they doubt. There's hesitation within them. So the, the Scripture gives us that detail. But there are these moments Sometimes in the Word of God where it doesn't give us all the details, where it almost leaves it open for us. That doesn't mean we can just run wild with it and put things within the text. But I do think the Word at times allows there to be an openness of application so that we don't, we don't miss application for ourselves. We're not told why they doubted. See what I'm saying? We're not told why they're doubting. We're not told what's the motivation of their hesitation. We don't know. And here's why I think the Word of God does that at times. Because if they said they hesitated because it was really cold outside, we would say, oh, well, I don't deal with that. So now we miss the application. When the Word of God is saying, no, no, here's what we know. Here's what God knows of our hearts. We have doubts and fears that are caused by thousands of things at any given moment. In this one moment, I can wrestle with fear and doubt because of the, the things I have looming ahead of me. In the very next moment, I'm wrestling with doubt and fears and doubts because I'm looking behind me at something that happened last week. There's all sorts of fears and doubts, and I think the Word of God here leaves it open to say it's capturing all of them at once. Where are their doubts, disciples, in your hearts? Where do you wrestle with the balance of worship and then fear, paralyzing fear and doubts, hesitation. We do get some clues here, though, in the Word of God. We get some clues as to what, what they could have been experiencing, what could have been happening within them. The word Matthew uses for doubt is only used two times in the entire New Testament. So cool. The only other time this word for doubt is used is in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew 14, these very same disciples are in a boat. And all of a sudden, there's this terrible storm that rises up and waves are crashing against their boat and they, they are terrified by the storm and they look into the distance at night, this horrendous storm. The wind and the waves are blowing. They're in this little boat. They don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to die? And then they look out into the sea and they see this figure walking towards them. And at, and at first they're terrified in fear. They're trembling because is this a ghost? They actually say, what, what is this? Is this a spirit? What is, who is this? What is walking towards us on this water? And they are struck with fear. And in that moment, Jesus reveals to them, it's me. Take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter, seeing this, hearing the words of his Savior and seeing his Savior, his Lord, his, his uh, rabbi, his teacher, the one he's following, walking on water, in the middle of this horrendous storm, in much faith, says, Lord, if it is you, command for me to come to you walking on water too. 
Let me come to you on the water as well. What faith in those, in those statements, right? If you command it, I know I can have faith and trust to get there. So Peter, well, Jesus responds, and he says, come. Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to go towards Jesus in the middle of the storm, walking on water. Incredible. Miracle. Ponder it for a second, saints. The power of Jesus to command such a thing, and now this normal human fisherman is walking on water towards his Lord and King. And as he's walking, something interesting happens. It's almost as if he becomes less aware of the powerful one standing right in front of him on the water who has just commanded for him to come, enabling this miracle. It's almost as if he takes his awareness of, of the power and presence of this Jesus who has commanded such an incredible thing, and Peter becomes more aware of the wind and the waves, and fear overcomes him again, and he begins to sink into the water, and he cries out to Jesus, Save me! And his precious Savior grabs a hold of him. I love it. He grabs him. And here's what Jesus says to him. O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There it is. There's the word. The same word used in Matthew 28. In that moment, on the water, Peter's eyes went from being fixed on the power and presence of Jesus, and his heart was filled with faith to trust him and to go towards him to now being more aware of the uncertain circumstances, the waves of, of trouble that are crashing against him in the wind, and fears rise up in his heart that results in what Jesus calls doubt, hesitation, doubt. And then you fast forward to the end of Matthew 28. The very same disciples, no longer on the water with a storm of uncertainty, with Jesus standing before them, now they find themselves on a mountain with a future of uncertainty, with the same Jesus standing before them, and yet the same battle of fear and faith, and the temptation to be less aware of the incredible might of the one who stands before them, and more aware of their uncertain circumstances, and doubt begins to bubble up within their heart. Can't we so relate to these doubting disciples? These are not superhuman hero saints. They're worshipers who struggle with hesitation and fear. One moment they're filled with faith and awestruck wonder and worship. Very next moment, very next words, very next second, fears and doubt overcoming them. Can't we relate? I love it. The Word of God. What if God's not trying to make superhero saints? He's not trying to make these people who just like never struggle, but it paints a reality of weak and needy people who have a very strong Savior. That's what we're going to see. Our, our Savior and Shepherd is so kind and patient 
with his sheepish saints. He knows what's in our hearts and he, he, yet he deals so gently with us. See, th- there is so much more to this passage here, to these verses, than just marching orders to get out into the world, to just go. And I think, I think several years ago, I would have seen these verses that way. They're the marching orders. We just get out and we go. But here's what we see. It's almost as if after those verses of Jesus, so when you look at verse 18, it's almost as if Jesus comes near to them. It says that Jesus came and said to them. So it's almost as if Jesus knows these wrestling hearts and he leans in near to them. He, he draws closer to them. He wants to assure and comfort them with what he's going to say next. First, he assures their hearts by pointing them to his power. That's the second point, the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus, verse 18. We live in a world that constantly feeds weary hearts that need assurance, that need courage, The world feeds us things like this. Just look deep into your heart. Well, my heart's kind of weary right now. Just look deeper. Dig, right? How many times have you heard? Dig deeper. Believe in yourself. That's the big one, right? Commercials everywhere. You just got to believe in yourself. You can do anything if you believe in yourself. Well, but I'm struggling. I'm terrified. Just believe in yourself. (laughs) You just need more belief in yourself. That's what you need. You're terrified because you need to believe more in yourself. Just imagine what you can accomplish. Don't we hear those kinds of things? You hear that kind of stuff all the time, especially aimed at the next generation, capturing our hearts. The problem is, If we look at ourselves accurately, (laughs) oh my goodness, a mirror serves to show us the blemish, right? You look into the mirror and you say, wow, I didn't know that was in my nose, right? Like, wow, I didn't know my hair was so, so serves us. When we look at ourselves accurately in the mirror of God's word, we are weak. We are so weak. We are weary. We are prone to doubt. We're limited in all our abilities and energy. We get emotionally tapped out, don't we? We just get hungry and we fall to pieces. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just get hungry and fall to pieces. There was commercials about adults doing that very thing, like Snickers bars or something. You just need to, you just need to eat something. You're hangry. You're angry and you're hungry. You're falling to pieces. Eat something. We are fragile people, aren't we? Frail. Frail. Oh, man. Danielle and I watched a documentary. We love to watch documentary series. And we watched a documentary on the world's toughest race where they took the best athletes in the world, Ironman athletes, triathletes, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, on and on and on, these ferocious, incredible athletes in all the world, and they had this huge race through the jungles of Fiji, and it it consisted of 
going through the ocean from one island to the next, and there's oceans, and I mean, there's legit waves, much like the disciples had. And then they're going through the jungle, and they're having to go through hot and then cold and rivers and all these sorts of things. And you see the best in the world competing. And eventually, do you know what was so shocking? I remember we're just sitting there, and we're enjoying it. We're like five series in or something, and we're like, whoa, what is happening? This is shocking because the best of the best, the strongest of the strong, the longer they went, it began to be revealed. Every single one of them were weak and needy. Every single one of them. Eventually, the weaknesses came out. Their fears came out. Their inabilities came out. And you saw it on TV for the whole world to see. Many were unable to finish. It was incredibly eye-opening. The strongest athletes in the world, yet at some point, weak and frail, just like everyone else. No man, no woman, can escape our human frailty. And so Jesus doesn't point them to look to themselves for strength. They're doubting and fearful. He doesn't point them. Just look in your heart. Trust in yourself. He doesn't point them to themselves for strength and ability or assurance so they can fulfill this call of going into the world on behalf of Jesus. He points his disciples to his ability and to his power. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He takes their eyes off of themselves and reminds them just who they belong to, just who is the one standing before you, sending you out. In him is this all-encompassing authority and power. Those words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, importantly, connect and echo from the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7. It serves to reveal just who this Jesus, who this one is who is standing before him or before these disciples. Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament spoke of a son of man, sent of God, who would rule and reign over all things. And Matthew is wanting to show it's Jesus. Look at this, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I was going to have it on the screen, but we weren't able to do that, I'm sorry. But listen to this. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. Oh my, like the, the heavens opened for us to glimpse here. And was presented before him, and to him, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the one. The the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, seek to show that Jesus is the Son of Man spoken of of Daniel 7. It is this one. It is Jesus with all authority and dominion. The, the phrase 
son of man is used. I, I love things like this. I hope that you find joy in the word of God and the treasure trove of goodness that's found here. The, the son of man phrase is used 28 times in 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. 28 times throughout the entire book of Matthew, the Son of Man is mentioned more than any other gospel. So much of the gospel of Matthew, leading all the way up to the moment in chapter 28, is trying to show us this. This one, this Jesus, is our sovereign shepherd, our sovereign savior, the kingly shepherd who has power and authority over all. From beginning to end, there is this clash of kingdoms in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is just proving over and over again his rule and reign so that we believe and trust him. You can trust the one who has power and authority over all things, can't you? He's, he's the one who gets to decide. He's the one who has the say. So much of our fear is forgetting that. So much of our fear, my fear, is forgetting that he's the one who has the last say. There is nothing that will happen. There is nothing that can happen to me. There is nothing that someone can't do to me that has not yet or has not passed through his allowance. What assurance that is for our hearts, precious saints. What assurance. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is offered some authority by Satan. Satan comes to Jesus, tempts him in the wilderness and says, hey, I will let you rule over these kingdoms of the earth if you will worship me. Jesus rebukes him because all authority in heaven and on earth belong to the Son of Man, the God's Son who came in human flesh and only God himself is deserving of worship. So it begins, the Gospel of Matthew, with this temptation to receive some power, some authority. Jesus rebukes him because all authority belongs to him. And then the rest of the gospel of Matthew is this powerful display of Jesus marching through the world, proving over and over again that he truly does have all power and authority. He has a power and authority over nature. Wind and the waves obey him. He tells them a storm rises and he says, cease. Done. Disease and death. The blind come and they see. The deaf cannot hear. And when they come to this one, opens their ears to hear. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed when no one else will touch them. He cleanses them. The dead are raised. Demons. Sin. He rebukes demons and they flee. He declares the sin of people forgiven. Incredible. People are astonished. Who can do such a thing but only God himself? That's the point, right? That's the point. He has power and authority over truth as he teaches with authority as one who gets to decide what truth is. That's the temptation of the world we live in right now. They want to re re resist the authority God has through His Son, Jesus, and say, we will decide what truth is. 
Who gets to decide what truth is? We all are our own truth deciders. No, Jesus stands before them and people are amazed because he speaks with authority as one who knows. So even authority and power over truth belong to him. He has authority over the hearts of people. Ponder that. Authority over the hearts of men and women. He calls them, and at his very word, he says, come, and they drop what they're doing and say, oh my, I want to follow him. I want to be with this one. Where else can we go? Who else has the words of life? You are the one, and they leave everything behind to follow this one at his very word. Over and over again. And then the greatest glimpse we get of his power and authority over all things. He comes and he lives the perfect life we could never live because we're slaves to sin. But he showed he is not a slave to sin. And he perfectly obeys the Father in our place. And yet in incredible humility, he takes our place as the, in the sacrificial atoning death on the cross. He dies a sinner's death. But he doesn't stay dead. He, in power, he lives again. He conquers sin and death in resurrection power. The greatest display of his power and authority ever to be witnessed in all humanity. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, man. Over and over again, Jesus, God the Son, is displaying himself to have all authority in heaven and on earth. As God, He truly is working all things according to His plans and purposes. There's not a moment that surprises Him. There's no moment caught off guard. All things, working all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't mean all things will turn out the way that we think they should turn out. But it does mean He is sovereignly reigning and ruling over it all with our good. And His glory worked into His purposes. Oh my! So then, there is nowhere you can go, precious saints. There is nowhere you can go. Nothing you will endure. No place or circumstance where He is not reigning and ruling as the sovereign Lord of all. And so He is to be obeyed when He says, Go into all the nations and proclaim Me. He is to be obeyed, but he can also be trusted as we go. He can be trusted. Jesus doesn't call us to him and then send us out in his gospel mission because he's confident in us. We bring so much weakness to the table, so much frailty, so much sin still. He's not confident in us. In so many ways, we are incapable we are weak. We don't trust him as we ought. We, we need to grow in maturity. We need to grow in knowing him and his word more deeply. We are so distracted and need to grow in being more committed to his mission in this sin-broken world. So why does he send us? Why send doubting disciples? How can he have confidence that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom when he's sending us? Because he's not confident in us. And this is kind of a funny thing to say. Jesus is confident in himself. 
Let's just grab a hold of that, precious saints. The way Westerners are confident in ourselves, <laughs> blow that out of the water and just say, Jesus is confident in himself. That is our very hope and assurance for fulfilling his mission of his fame and glory filling the earth. It is not confidence in ourselves. It is joining Jesus and having confidence in himself, in his infinite power and authority to help weak and needy disciples endure his call to be used to fulfill his great mission. And as we go forward, I love this, as we go forward in our weakness, it will only prove to provide another opportunity for him to display his infinite power and authority over and over again in our lives. Do we see our weakness that way? I don't often see my weakness that way, precious saint. As an opportunity for me to decrease so that his great power and might may increase. I want to be strong often. I want to be strong. Don't you? Don't you wrestle with that? I want to be strong. I want a good night's rest. I don't want to walk with a limp. I want my body to work right. Our, our hope and our confidence is not in our power, precious things, but in the power he provides in every one of our needy moments. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. You know I love Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what he says about this power of Christ over all things. You shall now prove that more is he who is with you than all they who are with them. That's what you're proving in your moments of weakness. And you treasure Jesus. You go into the world treasuring Jesus in all of your weakness. That's what's happening. We shall now prove more is he who is with you than all they who are with them. Go in this your might. All power is given to Christ. Power over the wills of men as well as over the waves of the sea. Pray. And at the gates, oh, I love this. Pray, and, at the, and, at, and the gates shall be opened. Plead, and the bars of brass shall be cut in two. Christ has power over politics. Amen to that. He can make wars and create peace with a view to the propagation of his word, to the view of the spread of his word. He can change the hearts of princes and preside in the councils of synods. He can cause nations that, have, that long, have long been shut up to be opened to the truth. Can't he do all of those things and more? Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. Precious saints, I feel like I am learning this. I am learning this. Last week, I'm driving to our young adults retreat. It was wonderful, by the way. I hope you get to hear more about it our young adults retreat where we gathered with other young adults in our region of churches and we'd go and I'm, I was preaching Friday night and I'm driving my old Tahoe, 2005 Tahoe. It's, it's been good to me, but halfway there, weird sounds start happening, grinding, it begins to jerk and it begins to sort of put, do this to me and stop and as I slow down, it gets even worse and I feel like, man, I'm like, Lord, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to this thing. 
I don't even know if I'm going to make it to preach on Friday night. And the Lord just rushed over my heart with these very truths. He reigns and rules over these moments. If he so wills for me to get there and preach, I will get there and preach. And if he so wills for me to stop halfway and not make it there, but he has other intentions to grow in me, hit the good of, of trusting him, or to grow in me to, to say, okay, Lord, who else do you want me to talk to? Then he will do that. And the Lord, I just begin to pray, Lord, if you want me there, you're going to get me there. If you don't want me there, I'm not going to make it. But give me faith to trust you the whole way. By God's grace, it's grinding. It sounds terrible. I'm probably driving by people, and they're like, that car is about to blow up. Like, and I'm driving, and I get there finally, and I park, and I, the car is still there. <laughs> it's not moving from the parking lot. It's still there. Like transmission went out. But I preached that night. The Lord was kind to meet us. I got so many wonderful conversations that night, and because I ended up staying I had so many conversations with young adults talking about assurance of faith, anxiety, fears and struggles, all sorts of things, purity, all sorts of things, marriage. And I got to just pray with them and talk with them and care for them. And not only that, not only was the Lord kind to use this weak and silly vessel, me, but I so received so much good while I was there. I had to stay because my truck broke down. I had no clue what was going to happen. I still don't know exactly. But God did so much good in me and by God's grace used me over the weekend because my truck broke down. I'm learning he has power and authority over all things. I'm going to Nepal, precious saints, in like four weeks, I believe, for a couple weeks. And we're going to preach the word there. We're going to encourage pastors there. We're going to just see what the Lord has for us there. And the Lord is doing wonderful things there. Here's the reality. Though it's not illegal to be a Christian there anymore, the rules that have been in place basically make it illegal to be a Christian there. You can't share your faith to try to convert someone, so you can't evangelize. You can't baptize people publicly. So there's, there's these things put in place to, to hinder the spread of the gospel, but yet the gospel is spreading incredibly throughout the mountains. They're saying, hey, be prepared. It's possible we could preach to 300 pastors who will come over the mountains to be fed and cared for. How amazing. I am learning that no matter what the Lord has for me in these couple of weeks, even in my own frailty and frail body and inabilities, that the Lord has good plan for the spread of His kingdom. And that's what I'm learning for my own health, too. Lord, however long I'm weak, I don't know how many of you know, but I am often very weak. I have moments of real weakness, moments of frailty, my, my even new things, you know, my, my, my leg sometimes is, is hurting very bad. But the Lord's teaching me. Because there's moments where I say, how can you use this? I need, don't you want me to be strong, Lord? And the Lord up to this point has said, no. No, I want to show my power when you are weak. I am learning that, saints. Pray for me as I learn these things. And I'll pray for you as you learn these things. Not only does he assure us of his power, but he comforts us with his presence. Last point. The presence of Jesus. Jesus tells them at the end of verse 20, Behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, he says, look, look. This is what I want you to see. So pay attention to this. That's what behold is. It's grabbing our attention, saying, stop looking over there and look over here. Behold, I want you to see this. I want you to fix your eyes on this and so settle your hearts upon what I'm about to tell you. Not only am I the one who has power over all things and I am your God and you are my sons and daughters, but I am with you always. He sins, but he doesn't leave us to ourselves. He is the God who goes with us. The one who is sovereignly reigning over all things promises to remain with us always. I love the words used here in these verses. In, in, in verses 19 through 20, he says, it's this, this call, go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them all Jesus has commanded. And, but those alls, all nations, all he's commanded are bracketed before and after with assurance and comfort in the one who has all authority over all things and the one who will be with you always. The call to proclaim Christ is always held in the power and presence of Christ himself. Even the whole Gospel of Matthew is sort of bookended. I don't know what the proper term, it's surrounded. It begins and ends with this theme of the presence of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel declares that he, Jesus, shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the very last verse, so from chapter 1 to the very last verse, Matthew ends with this sweet and comforting declaration from Christ himself, I am with you always. Emmanuel, beginning to end. Precious. And don't miss, in this last statement, the I am statement Jesus makes. I am with you. Always. The God of old. Remember, Pastor Rob talked about this last week. Whenever the, 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 the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, who are you? Are you, are you this Jesus? Who are you? And they come and they're ready. And Jesus says, I am. Ego and me. Power. Because he is the great I am. The one from Genesis to Revelation. The ancient God, the one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am, closes Matthew 28 with the I am with you, always. The same one who assured the heart of Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 when the Lord was sending him into Egypt, right? So the Lord's been doing this for generations. He gathers his people, they're weak, they're needy, and he sends them and he intends to show his power as he goes with them. Moses, when, when the Lord says, I'm going to send you into Egypt, and Moses says, oh no, <laughs> have you seen me? I'm weak, I'm incapable, I don't speak eloquent, there's nothing about me that you should be sending me. He's looking at himself. And God's comfort, the Lord's comfort, the great I am, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the comfort he gives Moses, the assurance he gives him is four times, I have sent you. And I will be with you. That's the comfort. Not, Moses, come on, man, you're better than you think. 
right? No. I am sending you. And I am going with you. That is your assurance and comfort and courage and peace. As the Lord sends out, he does the same thing in Matthew 28. This I am. I'm sending you out and I'm with you. The same sender and one who goes with us from generation to generation to generation to generation. The great I am. Oh my. As the Lord sends us out, whether it be in our homes, among lost family members, or in the workplace, or school, or in our neighborhoods, or even across the nations, in the midst of our weakness and frailty and fears and doubts and opposition, let your hearts drink deeply of the assurance and comfort found in the power and presence of the God who goes with you. There is no place your sovereign shepherd will send you where he will not go with you. There is no place he will lead you where he will then suddenly leave you. His endurance is what enables your perseverance. His faithfulness and help is what enables us to go with hope. Listen to this from Paul Tripp. I read this this past week just in my devotional time. I thought it's so, so tied in. Your hope is not to be found in your willingness and ability to endure, but in God's unshakable, enduring commitment to never turn from his work of grace. Praise God. Your hope is that you have been welcomed into communion with one who will endure no matter what. Your hope of enduring is not to be found in your character or strength, but in your Lord's because he will never be faithful or he will ever be faithful. You can bank on the fact that he will give you what you need to be faithful to. Your perseverance rests on him. And he defines what endurance looks like. So whether you're limping or you are running, he gets to define what that's going to look like. It is the grace of endurance granted to you by the God of endurance that provides you with everything you need to continue to be what he calls you to be and to do what he calls you to do between this moment and the moment when you cross over to the other side. When difficulty exposes the weakness of your resolve and the limits of your strength, you do not have to panic because he will endure even in those moments when you don't feel able to do so yourself. Amen. This, this is true for daily endurance of the Christian and for the endurance we need in Christ's mission, going into all the world, proclaiming him. May the power and presence of our Savior and Lord who calls us to go be our assurance and comfort and may it sturdy our hearts with hope. Amen? Let's pray.